Welcome to this something akin to an emergency podcast, responding to the Mansion House announcements and the subsequent blizzard of policy papers that were published on the same day. Um, I appreciate you're probably listening to this at least a couple of days after all that was published. Given current ambulance wait times, I guess we can stretch the definition of emergency a little more than might have been the case in the past. So look, this is all going to be a bit sketchy, a little unpolished. For some reason, the mental image of Andre Greipel sprinting for the line springs to mind. It's n- it's going to lack finesse, so I apologise for that. So there's a niche reference there for cycling fans. So Jeremy Hunt, or Del Boy as I now think of him, promised us we're all going to be we're all going to be rich millionaires this time next year. We're all going to be a thousand pounds better off in retirement thanks to all the reforms he's announced. I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but I'm not really going to focus on that because I think for a lot of us, that's not really the most interesting bit. But promise he did. And alongside his speech, there were eight pension providers committing to invest £50 billion by 2030 into, um, I'm not sure what, private equity, illiquid assets, infrastructure investments, Maybe they're going to get Neil Woodford to run it. I don't know. Um, when I saw that, I was thinking, well, why? Why have they suddenly stepped up now and promised, committed to do this stuff when, in theory, they could have done it any time before? And these are big DC pension schemes we're talking about here. And it did strike me, well, first of all, they're, talking, they're using other people's money. So it's, you know, it's easy to make promises when you're using other people's money. Maybe they've all been promised OBEs. I think that's possibly a little uncharitable. But it did strike me also that perhaps they're doing this kind of because they have to, because of where the Overson window is at now. And we'll kind of come back to that a little bit more. But, you know, the fact that Rachel Reeves, Labour Shadow Chancellor, has talked about actually mandating investment into growth assets and forcing the pensions industry to do that, maybe they're taking a calculated view that if we do this now under our own choice and uh, under our own control, then that's the, the lesser of two evils. So so maybe there's that going on. But that's the big headline that the government was chasing. You know, we're all going to be better off thanks to this government's intervention and everybody will be 12% more sexually attractive thanks to the Tory government uh, or, or something like that. It's like wildly improbable promises. The whole industry was looking at what Jeremy Hunt was saying. So you can't say that. Everybody will be a thousand pounds better off. If we tried to do that, the FCA would definitely have words with us about that. But obviously different rules for politicians. But look, alongside that Mansion House speech and everything that was in there, which you've all no doubt seen reported, there was a mix of consultation responses, research updates, consultation papers, calls for evidence and the like. So I want to pick out a few of those and just talk a bit more about a couple of those that caught my eye. So we had papers from the DWP on value for money, on the consolidation of small pension pots, on trustee skills and culture, on collective defined contribution pension schemes, on DB consolidation, on decumulation from DC pension schemes. We also had stuff from the Treasury on short selling regulation. We had an interim report and a set of questions on the digitization of task force, uh, getting rid of paper-based shares. We had a paper on investment research, which I'm reliably informed by someone closer to all this is 
a bit bonkers in places. It's not one I've read yet. Forgive me. There was, there was a lot that came out. I've got a consultation on a digital security sandbox. Again, I haven't got to that to the top of my pile yet. A plan for delivering a smarter financial services regulatory framework. As if that, all that wasn't enough from the FCA, we had a review of investment pathways. Spoiler a lot. Basically, they think they're working okay. A response to the consultation on disclosure regime, including a bit of a rethink, a fairly big rethink, in fact, on PRIPS-related retail disclosures. And so I guess, first of all, maybe a bit of a slow handcap for whoever thought it was a good idea to shovel all this stuff out everywhere all at once just before we all go on holiday and with an eight-week consultation window, I, you know, maybe all leave should be cancelled. I'm, I'm planning on, in fact, probably by the time you listen to this, I'll be up a mountain somewhere. So, you know, holidays are important and it just means we're going to have to work pretty hard in the meantime. Um, I, look, this is not a place for advertising as a general rule, but I am going to mention the fact that we will shortly be launching a Langcat tracker which is we've been building and which monitors political and regulatory policy papers, developments, consultations, and the like. And it seems pretty timely under the circumstances. So all of this stuff that I'm talking about here has been fed into the tracker. And that's a service that will shortly be available for you to make use of if you want to find papers, information, uh, links and the like of that nature, as well as kind of analysis from us on what it, we think about it all. So there's that, but it's not live yet. So, so don't go looking for it yet. I'll let you know, but imminently. Okay. So I'm going to start with the small pots consolidation and they've gone for a default consolidator. So not pot follows member. Those were the two front runner solutions. They've also said they're going to focus on getting rid of the stock of existing pots for now. And they're going to continue to think about the flow. And I just want to quote a couple of things from that. They say, and I quote, in the longer term, a simpler system of workplace pension saving could emerge to deal with the fundamental issue that new pension pots are created each time someone starts a new job. For, for example, a lifetime provider model with each saver stapled to a pot for life, which may go further to solving this for existing and future pots. Some of you listening to this will know I'm never normally shy about blowing my own trumpet. I would just like to point out this is an idea that uh, John Lawson and I put to the then pensions minister, Steve Webb, in about 2013. He shot it down then. He still thinks it's a bad idea now. I know that because I watched a webinar he was on uh, yesterday when he talked about this again. I think he still doesn't understand it. I think maybe maybe he just doesn't get it. Maybe he chooses not to get it. But I still think it's a good idea. And the DWP go on to say, we will form an industry group in late 2023 working with interested parties to explore the design and implementation of the default consolidator framework. So that's all great. So we are going to get default consolidator, at least in theory, and I'll come back to that shortly because there's a bit of Schrodinger's pension reform going on here. Thank you, by the way, to my colleague who helpfully inserted the missing umlaut when I wrote about Schrodinger's pension reforms. It's nice to be uh, outpedanted by one of your colleagues. So basically what they're trailing there is the next stage of reform to auto-enrolment. And they're saying, look, auto-enrolment's all very well, but we do have this multiple small pots problem. So we're now thinking about actually fundamentally redesigning the way auto-enrolment works and move to a world where you get auto-enrolled into a pension when you first start a job, but then using the Aussie model, you get stapled to it. 
and that pot will then follow you around from job to job and your new employers will make their contributions into your existing pension pot. And you can always have the right to change it or select a different one and exercise choice. But, you know, I thought this was a good idea 10 years ago. I still think it's a good idea now. And I'm really delighted the the, the DWP is looking at that because we need to do something about the constant flow of new small pots. They talk about in their consolidator paper, they talk about how master trusts, in practice, they say master trust schemes will be required to apply to be default consolidators. Alongside this, we will work with the FCA in the development of the regime to ensure alignment where needed. For example, on whether contract-based providers could seek authorization to act as a consolidator in relation to a contract-based scheme that they operate. So that's nicer than they are including contract-based pensions in their default consolidator model. And they say the initial, initially the pot size for auto consolidation will be limited to £1,000, which I think is the right thing to do. We recommended that to them in our consultation response. But in the fullness of time, you'd expect to see that threshold raised higher, five, ten, even £20,000, because that would meaningfully start to resolve the problem of those millions of small pots that are all out there. So there's that. I think there's some interesting challenges on pension transfers through all of this. There's some interesting data in the paper if you're interested in data on costs of operating pension pots, costs of transfers, that kind of stuff. It's all in there to read. They also published a paper on defined contribution decumulation from from trust-based schemes, which is great news because it was clear there was a lot of work that needed to be done to get occupational pensions up to snuff. I mean, to be honest, contract-based pensions, the FCA are further ahead, but it's still not great either. And in their paper, they make reference to the retirement outcomes review that the FCA ran. I quote again, in the call for evidence on decumulation, it appeared that some schemes did not offer post-access support. Respondents noted this was a key point that needed development, as again, this support seemed to vary a lot between schemes. We will consider this as part of our proposals on information, guidance and communications that will be set out later this year. And they also say another quote for you. We accept that an in-house offer of products and services may not be the optimal outcome for every member. However, we believe the work we are exploring on communications, which we will set out later this year, and the potential for pensions in decumulation to be included in the value for money framework in the future will enable savers to better understand the value to them of different services and products available in the decumulation market. So basically what they're saying is there's a real mishmash of solutions currently available to people in occupational DC pensions. They need to tighten everything up and they propose to do that and bring it kind of in line with the FCA. So that too looks like pretty good news and long overdue. They talk about collective defined contributions in another paper and uh, notwithstanding the evident challenges posed by actually operationalizing collective defined contribution schemes, particularly multi-employer, particularly post-retirement uh, decumulation vehicles as well, I think it's a good idea. Um, and it's worth noting that there's primary legislation already in place for this to, so they can kick this one off pretty quickly. And they say this response builds on previous responses to the past consultation and sets out the proposed way forward, which will be realised through secondary legislation, which we will publish in draft later this year. So on the CDC stuff is something that could actually happen pretty fast. A couple of other things I'd like to pick out on that. They specifically talk about this idea of a proprietor for CDC schemes. That's the entity that will inverted commas, own the operation of the CDC scheme, but they specifically say they want separate 
trustees. They want, from a governance point of view, they think it's really important there's a separation between the trustee body and the commercial entity that's operating the CDC scheme. And I would just point out, and this is something we will come back to again, that there are lessons to be learned here for the contract-based pension sector and for IGCs as well. And they also point out the CDC schemes would not have access to either the Pensions Protection Fund or the FSCS, which I think is kind of interesting. And I think there are some really big communication challenges, which again, they acknowledge in their paper around how CDC schemes get delivered to consumers. So no one's pretending this is going to be easy, but equally, it is happening. So there's that. Big paper on value for money. It's all about making schemes serve their customers better. A couple of quotes I've picked out on this paper We will not hesitate to take action against consistent underperformance, and we will require schemes to discontinue or consolidate to a better run, better performing value for money scheme. We believe the value for money framework can play a key role in protecting savers against poor outcomes by ensuring that DC schemes are consistently assessed and held accountable for the value they provide to savers. And I think this all too has relevance for contract-based pensions in due course. They go on to say, we also acknowledge that consolidation can help improve governance standards and scheme efficiencies and provide greater investment opportunities resulting from economies of scale that have the potential to deliver better outcomes. So elsewhere in the paper, I mean, they set out all the kind of proposed metrics for how value for money will be delivered. Big shift away from charges. Charges are so yesterday. And I think to some degree, rightly so. Charges are easy to measure, but they're actually not the most important lever that determines the outcomes people get from their retirement savings. As Mr. Harrison pointed out on Twitter this morning, the biggest lever we can pull is the contribution rates, and we're still not where we need to be on that, but one thing at a time. So they also talk in the paper about more emphasis on telling the employer when the scheme is under pressure and ensuring employers are aware of this. So, So that's all to the good. There's a paper, too, on pension trustee skills, capability and culture, I think there's a couple of things I just wanted to pick out on this one. We understand that trustees are hardworking, committed individuals with a difficult role. You can sense there's a but coming. Trustees are accountable for ensuring schemes are well run and the savers' benefits are invested well. However, we also believe that savers in all schemes should rightly expect that the trustees entrusted to look after their retirement savings have the skills and capability to do this job properly. And they also reference Australia's constructively tough approach to supervision of trustees, as Graham Norcott would say, hard but fair approach to supervision of trustees. And it shows the importance of focusing on good governance to improve results for members. So they talk a bit about fiduciary duty and to ensure that savers get the best possible outcomes. It's important that trustees in DC schemes move away from a short-term focus on costs to one that focuses on delivering long-term holistic value for savers. I mean, essentially, they're saying, you know, thanks for all the work you're doing, guys, but we're not convinced that you're doing a good enough job. Um, We're going to introduce a trustee register. And again, I think what's good for the goose is also good for the gander, I think is how the expression goes. So next up, IGCs. And through that trustee skills and capabilities and culture paper, there again was this underlying theme of moving to fewer, bigger, better run DC pension schemes. So I think across everything, in fact, all the papers I read, that was 
the recurring theme. There are too many pension schemes, and yes, we want you invested in investing in economic growth and risk assets, and yes, we want you to all go out and create lots of jobs and help us get re-elected, but also we think there are too many pension schemes and everything we're going to do, whether it's value for money or trustee skills or you know small pot consolidation or changes to auto enrollment, it's all about moving towards fewer, bigger, better run DC pension schemes. And I can't see anything that is going to cause that to not happen. Everything is flowing in that direction now. And I think that all has implications for contract-based pensions as well. And I think back to when auto-enrollment was being introduced and IGC governance bodies for contract-based pension schemes kind of trusty light. Labour, Greg McClymont, they were always pretty sniffy about that as a kind of reverse engineering a, a, a governance solution. And to be honest, I kind of agree with them. So, you know, thinking about some of the people I've met who sit on IGCs, you know, they're really lovely people. They're intelligent, knowledgeable, well-meaning people, some of whom actually don't know much about pensions. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. We could have that conversation. Typically, you'll find, I think, employees of the provider sitting on the IGC. And I think back to that point about governance and, and you know, separation of commercial entity and the supervision of the operation of that scheme in the interests of the members. So, I think the seeds of a revolution are being sown here. I think that there are a lot of challenges being put down for SIP providers, personal pension providers, contract-based pension scheme providers, maybe for financial advisors too, because um, this all feels like pretty revolutionary stuff to me. And whilst it might take some time to flow through, I can't see that anything will change irrespective of who forms the next government. And, you know, maybe this is a bit of a Schrodinger's pension reform because, you know, in theory, if we get a change of government, none of this will happen, except I think most of it still will. I don't suppose you'll find many civil servants in the DWP or the Treasury who think that this stuff is a bad idea. If anything, I think an incoming Labour government would probably just double down on this and go even faster So I think there's a lot for the industry to think about here, and there's a lot for us to get our heads around. There are a number of consultations, specific consultations, that need to be responded to by the 5th of September, and I think we need to crack on with that because there are some really important conversations to be had with ministers, with Labour, opposition, spokespeople, if they ever come out to play, because it would be nice if they did, and with, with the civil servants who are running these consultations. There's probably more we should talk about with the FCA staff and and the PRIPS staff and the smarter financial services regulatory framework. But look, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there and we'll follow all this up when I get back from holiday. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes. The sound engineer was Ross Burns. Thank you for listening.